0: on Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your ears, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews of Jays from the back for another day of Blue Jays talk. And it's nice to have a happy Blue Jays game to discuss. And we are going to discuss it. Because who knows how many of these we have left in the season. We're in the final week. I, we will talk about the big news for Toronto fans today. And that is the potential return of Melky Cabrera to the Rogers Centre. No, we will talk about that in the latter half. Of this podcast, but I wanted to keep things going in chronological order, and we should talk about the happiness from last night, the good things that we, the Blue Jays fans can take from last night. And apologies to Jonathan Davis, he was not one of them. It was a very rough MLB debut for the young center fielder 0 for 3 and 3 strikeouts. No. The Blue Jays rode a, se- a seven-run first inning where they sent 12 batters to the plate and just knocked around Tyler Glassnow. just made him look like he was back with the Pirates. And they used that to build a lead that was unable to be assailed by the Tampa Bay Rays, and they avoid a sweep, winning 10-3. And there was a lot of good to come out of that game for the Blue Jays. First of all, seven-run first inning. I believe that's the most runs they've scored in a first inning all season. And it started very inauspiciously with a a walk to Billy McKinney. And this is one of the things that fans have loved about Billy McKinney since he's come to the Blue Jays, is just added dimension of speed and and base running he's added to the club, you could see when Billy McKinney got on first base that he was inside Glasnow's head from the moment he touched first. Like, Glasnow continuously looking over him, was unable to focus on the plate. The wild pitch advanced McKinney to second base, and then just it was batting practice after that. Travis single, Smoke single, Morales single. Guriel single, Diaz three-run home run, which really put the punctuation mark on that one. And then ju- just continuing to go around, e- even when McKinney was was up and striking out, he still got on base because Glass now still threw a ball away. And and this is helped by Tampa Bay playing their own rookie catcher last night, Nick Chufo. So. Obviously a little inexperienced with Glass now, a guy who just came over in August. And the Blue Jays were able to fully take advantage of it. It's something we haven't been able to say about the Blue Jays' offense this year. That they had an opportunity and they took advantage of it. And by the time Andrew Kittredge came in, this game was already over. From any, any kind of perspective. Devin Travis is making it 7-0 to put the punctuation mark on it. But... It was great to see the Blue Jays finally taking advantage of opportunities that were placed in front of them and and batting around and just continuously moving the chain. It's, It's something that's going to be key for this Blue Jays team in the future. In addition to continued success from Aaron Sanchez, who, aside from whenever he had to face Kevin Kiermaier, for the most part, Aaron Sanchez was Aaron Sanchez, on the night. He was dominant, he was using his fastball, and he was getting movement on his fastball. That's the big thing for Sanchez. When his fastball's flat, his changeup looks exactly like it, just a little bit slower, and batters are able to to time up their swings a lot easier on that changeup. So when the fastball's coming in and is moving, that plays well into Sanchez, especially if he doesn't want to use his curveball anymore. He needs to have the fastball moving and operating as that kind of sinker hybrid that it is, and, and getting the movement on it that will fool batters. And it, it was crucial to see that kind of progression from Sanchez. Like we said on yesterday's show, he'd given up 11 runs and eight and a third innings since coming off the DL. He did not look any kind of good. And. Again, it's it's a quality start in the loosest sense of a quality start for him. He he went six innings, gave up three runs, two of them on solo shots to Kiermaier, which, again, not a lot you can do when someone's just dialed in. And second inning as a whole was probably the worst inning for Sanchez, what with the, the sudden control issues and the bases-loaded walk to Malik Smith. That never should be happening. But... He battled through it, and and he showed more late, which was huge. Because Sanchez kept getting into trouble in the fourth inning and the fifth inning this season, so to see him to be able to go out there and maintain his ability to get strikes, maintain his ability to coax outs, that that's what the Blue Jays need to see from him going forward. That ability to work into a quality start position, the ability to get guys out that second third time through the order because that's been the problem for Aaron Sanchez this year so a very good start for him a very positive moment for him but the most positive moment of the night obviously coming in the bottom of the sixth inning when uh Rowdy Tellez made his major league debut pinch hitting for Jonathan Davis because Jonathan Davis is not Just let's forget Jonathan Davis' debut. I'm sure he wants to as well. But no, Rowdy Tellez, after all the adversity, after losing his mom to cancer, after struggling in Buffalo last year and really losing the prospect's shine, finally comes up to Major League Baseball, takes the first pitch he sees from Jake Feria, and smacks it for a double. That scores a lead miss Diaz. So so many first coming off there. First first hit, first extra base hit, first RBI, and and just to see him standing on second base and to hear his quotes after the game of how he was fighting back tears as he was standing on second and, and just looking up the heavens. It is a touching moment. One of probably one of the highlights of the Blue Jays season. Just just being able to watch Rowdy Tellez do that and, and have that kind of moment and have the fans who were there share in that moment with Rowdy Tellez. Just, there, there's not much more you can ask for a baseball game than what Blue Jays fans got last night. It was a great offensive performance, had a good starting performance. Ryan Tapera looked a little wild, which is normal for him, but, you know, the rest of the bullpen looked good. Tim Mesa is... Locked into that Aaron Loop role. He's not going anywhere. He can retire his Buffalo Bison jersey. And Ken Giles came out in a non-safe situation and didn't give up a run. Which is always nice to see. Just three straight groundouts. Just textbook Ken Giles. So, again, a very positive night for the Blue Jays. Which is going to make the topics of the rest of today's podcast uh, really bring the mood down. But... It is something that we're going to have to talk about. We're going to talk about one former Blue Jay coming back later on. And another Blue Jay who looks to be headed out the door very shortly. We'll talk about that right after this. Okay, so news broke earlier today that essentially confirmed what everyone else knew. And that's that John Gibbons isn't going to be back next year. I mean, they're... He was saying it. Front office was was essentially saying it. Fans were saying it. Reporters were saying it. Everyone was saying it that John Gibbons was not going to be back. And who can blame him? It's been a rough couple years since the playoff runs. Gibby has done a great job, kind of keeping the mood up and and maintaining a healthy clubhouse, and and you know, essentially working with what he's had. But there is, there wasn't a lot to do. And the prospect of another rebuilding season next year was never going to be appetizing for Gibby. And it makes sense that he would take this opportunity to head off, go back to San Antonio, maybe manage the missions if they ask him, but just mostly spend time on his porch, you know, kicking back with a Coors Light, and just kind of enjoying retirement. And I, I think it helps to kind of put Gibby's, Blue Jays' tenure into perspective he is the second longest tenured blue jays manager behind cito gaston and he's i don't think he gets enough credit for what he was able to do with those 2015 2016 teams because a, a lot of time when fans think about those teams they think about alex anthopolis like oh alex Amphopoulos made the moves and and got the blue jays to that team like yeah, he made the trade. He decimated the farm system, but he made the trade. But it was the manager who put them in the position to do so, and the players as well. Like like I said, people look at Jose Bautista and Josh Donaldson, who we will talk about in a bit, and Edwin and and Alex getting Troy Tulowitzki and David Price and they see those as a catalyst. Gibby was kind of underrated in that regard, that he didn't Really get the full credit for what he was able to do. Back to back championship series appearances for for a team that hadn't been to the playoffs in in 20 years. And I I think it's because he had, you know, ex- exactly the kind of attitude that fans have come to love him for. He, he laid back, didn't let situations overwhelm him. Was able to keep a smile on his face most times. And it's something that's going to be sorely missed for this Blue Jays team. And depending on what route the front office goes, it could be a vastly different mood in the clubhouse. Now, we'll we'll talk about some of the things that will aid in transition of that in the final segment of the podcast, but it's worth looking at, you know, potential replacements for Gibby. And this has already been done you know, to death in Blue Jays media, because, I mean, again, it's a lost season. What else are you going to talk about? But, again, it's worth noting some of the names that have come up. And Eric Wedge is obviously first and foremost. He's he's already in the organization, so it makes sense to just bump him down. But Eric, Eric Wedge is going to be interesting in that he hasn't managed in well it it would be 6 seasons if he was selected and he's never had a good record he has a he has a career winning percentage of 478 he had like one good season with cleveland well two good seasons with cleveland in 20 uh 2005 and 2007 but aside from that he's never really shown the ability to work and and get the most out of those players and especially for a team that's going to be skewing younger, which they need to do because, again, the the root cause of the Blue Jays' decline has been age. And you look at the teams that Wedge had the most success with when he was in Cleveland. There were some younger players on it. He had a young Grady Sizemore. He had a young Johnny Peralta. He had Victor Martinez when he could actually play the field. But a lot of what he was able to do is because he had a pitching staff that was extremely durable and did not get hurt. When you look at the rotation from that 2005 team, uh, he got all but four games started by five pitchers that year. Jake Westbrook, Cliff Lee, CC Sabatcha, Kevin Millwood, and Scott Ellerton combined to make 158 starts. He's not going to have that kind of stability here. And he's entering a league where that kind of stability doesn't exist anymore. And you have to wonder if Eric Wedge is ready for the kind of challenge where he has to come in and continuously swap arms. To continuously be watching his pitcher and what. It, he needs to do with it because he wasn't able to do that in seattle it it was pretty bad so if eric wedge is the go-to candidate for this front office i'm going to be very skeptical of success and i'm going to be very worried that he could take this team in the wrong direction and that's why i've been advocating for a guy like sandy alomar jr who I feel brings fresh ideas and brings more of an analytical mind while maintaining a bit of that old-school savvy that he's learned under Terry Francona in Cleveland. And he satisfies the Cleveland angle by bringing him in. I'd, I'd much rather a Sandy Alomar Jr. than a Mike Matheny type who's going to come in and just strangle the life out of the clubhouse, because that that is the last thing the Blue Jays need. The The last thing they need is someone to tell Lourdes Goriel to get a haircut, or Joe Biagini to not be Joe Biagini. Like, one of the big things about this Blue Jays team is a personality it exudes, and a lot of that did come from Gibby, so that's something that is going to be lost when Gibby walks out the door. But... It, it needs to be a manager who both sees that and is able to use that and, and augment it with some new ideas, some new ways of looking at things. And I don't see Eric Wedge as a new way of looking at things. I see Eric Wedge as very much a part of that old baseball, that 2000s baseball, that's not going to lead to a successful team in the 2020s. He, he could get the job and prove me wrong, but I'm just going to be incredibly skeptical of what he is able to bring to the club. We're going to talk about what someone else brought to the club and what he probably isn't going to bring to this series right after this. So last week when the Blue Jays made the trade, and it's not the good trade, this is the bad trade in a lot of Blue Jays' minds, Josh Donaldson sent packing from the Blue Jays to the Cleveland team for a prospect to be named later, who we've all pretty much figured out is 40 man member, Julian Merriweather, who missed the entire season with Tommy John surgery, but was apparently a quick riser through the Cleveland system. He, he had a strong ERA at Akron last season before getting promoted to Columbus and just not doing well there, but he's, He's a recent pick of Cleveland. Just started his pro career in 2014 when he was drafted out of Oklahoma Baptist. And, you know, it, he's he's worth a flyer. He's, he's definitely later in his progression than, you know, a Samad Taylor who the Blue Jays acquired last year in the Joe Smith deal. And the big takeaway from all this isn't about Merriweather it is about Josh Donaldson leaving the Blue Jays and another link to those playoff teams being severed but whether or not Donaldson gets to come out and get the kind of send-off I guess from the Blue Jays fans will remain to be seen he's still on the disabled list he's playing rehab games with Akron right now since Akron's in the playoffs and he's homered in like three straight games so Akron's probably gonna face New Hampshire in the final, so that'll be fun. You know, Blue Jays and Cleveland meeting again in the Eastern League. But no, the big the big question is what does Josh Donaldson mean to the team? What kind of reaction is he gonna get? I assume he's going to get a very big reaction and and hopefully a proper tribute, because While Josh Donaldson wasn't in Toronto for a long time, he is a strong catalyst for what they did in the playoffs. And I've seen media members already anoint Donaldson as a more important Blue Jay than Joe Carter or John Olerud, which is stretching it a bit. But you can't deny what Donaldson brought to the Blue Jays when he was acquired. It was was a different trade. When Donaldson was acquired from Oakland as opposed to, say, the Miami deal that brought Mark Burley and garbage person Jose Reyes to the club, it was a sign that the Blue Jays were were not just trying to take advantage of them. They were going out and finding pieces and bringing them in. And it was a harbinger of things to come with Anthopolis, the way he acted later in the season to get to Lewitsky and Price. But... For Donaldson, he was the first star that the team had that actually came to the team. Like, Jose Bautista was made in Toronto. Edwin Encarnacion was made in Toronto. Roy Halliday was made in Toronto. Josh Donaldson was the first superstar who the Blue Jays went out and got when he was a superstar. And he put the charge... Into that team, and that's something that can't be understated when discussing his legacy as a Blue Jay. Now that it's fully crystallized, because he's he's never coming back. Vlad Junior is coming up next year in April. He's he's not coming back, so we can fully grasp his entire Blue Jays tenure. So, if he does make an appearance for Cleveland in this series, and I hope he does. I I hope he does get the ovation that he deserves. Because he does deserve a lot of credit for what he did. And I I know the front office didn't give him much credit in the end. And that might have led to the schism that developed with the team. And, you know, a lot of it is Donaldson's fault. You can't be going off by yourself and exploding your calf muscle during rehab with trainers that aren't with the team. But... It's it's going to be interesting. It's going to overshadow a lot of things in this series, which not expecting a lot, honestly. Cleveland may be the weakest division leader, but they are a division leader, and they are sending out Shane Bieber tonight against Sam Gavilio. Hard not to argue they have the advantage in that matchup. and In the first two matchups, I think the Blue Jays, if they're going to get anything this series, are going to have to do in the latter two games, and Mike Clevenger's still set to go for Cleveland. So, not looking good. But Sean Reed Foley goes against Adam Plutko. That, that might be the win for the Blue Jays in this series. But it'll be something to watch. I know I'll be watching. I know a lot of people will be watching football, because football's back, and you know, that's fine. That's your choice. I'm going to stick with this team that I love to talk about, and we come to the end of today's episode of Locked On Blue Jays. Um, thank you all for for listening to this. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Jays. You can follow me on Twitter at neoac18. That's neoac18, and I will be talking Blue Jays until the end of the season, and probably long after the season ends. But I will do it for you guys. And just a reminder, I know it hasn't happened in a couple of weeks, but Fan Friday is set to go tomorrow. The plan is to do a double header. Finally get to your suggestions for who to root for now that the Blue Jays are going to be out of the playoffs. Because there were a lot, and I appreciate all of you sending those in. I, I have to kind of go through them and tabulate the votes and make sure I have all opinions in there. But again, thank you all for sending those in and send in your thoughts tonight. Tell me what you think about Josh Donaldson coming back and, and what your memories are with him and tell me what he kind of means to you. I'll, I'll probably get a few more, uh, team selections for the fan Friday and yeah, just I apologize that it hasn't been there in the past couple weeks, but I'm, going to do my best to make it up for you tomorrow with that double header so before be sure to be on the lookout for that i will post it on twitter and let you all know when it's coming because again y'all are the reason why i do this podcast so thank you all so much for listening thank you for tuning in to locked on blue jays on the locked on podcast network i've been ryan andrews thank you all so much for listening and y'all take care